I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. This is the reading of God's Word. And uh, I wanted to uh, take a brief moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, no matter where we are or where we've been in life, You've been there with us and You're with us now. And I ask that the words right now would bring encouragement, hope, and uh, and restoration. Amen. Now, in the earlier part of this chapter, Paul's telling us he's in chains. He's house arrest, in chains, in prison, but he's been ministering to the guards. And all the people who are in his circle of influence are allowed to come in. And, and it's, it's not like no visitation. It's free visitation because Paul's been one of these model uh, people who's held captive. But the guards even wonder why he's there sometimes. You know, like, why are you here? It's like, you're not doing anything wrong. And uh, so he has a lot of favor in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the house arrest. And, uh, and, he, and he's talking, and he hears word about some people who are talking about Jesus and they're doing it for wrong motive. But he says, whether it's for wrong motive or right motive, at least they're talking about Jesus and proclaiming Him. And he said, that's what matters, right? It doesn't matter. Only that in every way, Jesus is proclaimed, that He's preached. And in this, He's rejoicing. And this is why He says, and I know that this, that that is the this, that Jesus was proclaimed regardless of motive. That that will turn out for His deliverance through prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now Paul is talking to people that are hearing the Gospel and have heard it from Him. Nobody had it before Him in that area. He evangelized those areas. So if anybody's preaching Christ, it's because they've heard it either from Paul or someone who heard from Paul. There wasn't many more people out there who were in those areas saying, yeah, I need to leave Israel and go to Macedonia and Philippi and and Asia or Turkey or all those different places to preach the Gospel. Or Rome, you know, I I just feel like I'm... You just don't do that back in those days. You're very close and tied to your family and where your family is, they are. And so, Paul is speaking to people who are saying, this message of Christ going out I'm thankful it's going out. I started it. No matter the reason, God is being proclaimed and He can use that. So no matter what, if God is being proclaimed and the Word is being taught and preached that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, God's going to get the glory and Paul's just fine with that. And I am too. So that's why he's thankful for that. And he trusts that it's going to be for his own deliverance through prayer because the Holy Spirit is supplying Paul's needs. When Christ is proclaimed, people change. And when he's in house arrest, people would send him love gifts, other things, sustenance, things like that, that were above and beyond. And it's incredible uh, for me to think 
that Paul started out this thing with no believers anywhere. And when he and uh, Barnabas went, and he and uh, Mark, I think it was John Mark, went with him on one of the trips, um, all of the uh, churches that he established began to pour back love offerings back to him. Now, we're a technologically advanced society compared to them. The 1900s were early 1900s, not just last century, but early last century, late 1800s, were a technologically advanced society compared to them. Word of mouth back in the early 1900s and 1800s could actually move by telegraph. It could go quickly, as in relatively quickly. Railroads were already going. All these things, right? So, news traveled quickly. If Paul were to go somewhere and establish a church to get there from uh, Jerusalem or Macedonia or wherever he was at up to Asia or Asia Minor or wherever he was establishing that church, was okay, we're going to get on there, drive down there, get on a boat and be over there tomorrow. It's not like that. It took a season. And sometimes he had to harbor in a port for a winter because they couldn't sail to get there at that season. And so, when he talks about this stuff being advanced and preached, the news is months possibly old. It's not something that's just, well, I'm going to send a letter and he'll get it in a week. It wasn't that quick. It'd take a month or two at the minimum. Unless you're like in Israel and you're sending it to another part of Israel, then it could get there by messenger chain maybe in a few days. But most of the time, things moved really, really slow. And we don't see that. That Paul established all these churches and he spent a year with them or more. Each one to establish them. And so he really got the Gospel rooted in there. And when other people began to preach that, you know, from hearing it from Paul or from another believer, and they may have said it wrong, and Paul says, as long as it's the Word of God, it's going to be according to that, that it, if God is being preached, those hearts will change and the supply of grace will come. And so that's why he's um, okay with that. But he says this, that this will turn out for deliverance through prayer and the supply of the Spirit. And he says his expectation and hope is that in nothing he'll be ashamed. That the Gospel is not to be ashamed of. It matters not to Paul if they have poor motive. Because as long as Jesus Christ is proclaimed, this is what matters to him. There's a time when Paul tried to be smart, reason with people, logic, and all these things. But there's a time in his ministry when he kind of went back to the basics. When he talked to the church at Corinth, he said, the only thing I wanted to know among you was Jesus Christ and Him crucified and nothing else. Anything else I didn't want to talk about. I just want that among you. That's all I want to know among you. So that they would see in Him an example of someone who loved Jesus. And so Paul is trying to tell them that as long as Jesus is proclaimed, I don't have any shame in that because you're talking about Jesus. And you're talking about Him as the Son of God, as the Messiah resurrected and the soon coming King. And so he's saying, with all boldness then, Christ is going to be magnified in my body. (laughs) whether by my life or by my death, because by my life I've already established this, and if I die, it'll still continue. And then he says that verse, 21. And I I love this verse. And if you don't know how this verse is said elsewhere, 
the saying, because he's saying a saying to Christian Jews at that time. And the, the saying is, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Sounds familiar. But in other passages, it switches the order. And it says this, for me, to die is Christ and to live is gain. To live is gain and to die is Christ. But he's changed it around. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that, I think, is for those who need to know what life and death is all about. Would you agree with me that Jesus Christ has come to transform us in this lifetime? That He can do that. He can transform lives. He can cause revolutions and freedom and joy, and chains the fall, all that stuff, right? He can do that in this life. And when we die and we're with Him, He translates us into our resurrected body and we're with Him forever. When that happens at our death, we have gained the kingdom, right? The death that we die in Christ has gained us life in Christ. Now, here is what I want to share with you tonight, and I'm going to share it um, in no uncertain terms. There's a time in my life when I thought this world would be better off without me. And the reason I thought that was because I was depressed and in pain. And I thought, I just want to end all this depression and pain. I just want to end it. And then this verse says, to die is gain. And I said, wait a minute. God, no, for me to die is to lose all the pain, not gain something. So death losing something isn't according to Scripture. To die is to gain something, not to lose something. So if someone says, I just want to get rid of all this mess and just get end it all so I can stop this, rather than I want to gain Christ. Because I wanted my life to be over to stop something rather than to start something. And God's not about stopping things. He's about starting things. He's about new life. He's about hope. He's about peace. He's about new things inside. Rebirth. And when we die to self, we gain Christ. But if we die ourselves, we don't gain anything. We just lose stuff. We don't get anything from it. The, uh, the saddest story, I think, of a life tragically lived is when someone thinks that at the end of their life, they wish they could have lived it differently. Boy, I wish I would have done that. Would have been more kind. Would have been more helpful. Would have said these things. Would have been more time with my family. But I've wasted all that time on myself in selfish pursuits. And... and Five years ago, I sat down with a friend of mine, and at the time I was 50, and I considered that 70 was probably at that time going to be mandatory retirement age. And I said, i got about 20 more years in the workforce, and then they're done with me. They're going to spew me out. So i got 20 years to make a difference. And I thought, here's what I'm going to do to make a difference. And five years later, just a couple weeks ago, I pulled out that list of that 20-year plan and all these things I wanted to change in the world to make a difference. 
And guess how far I've made it. I've made it to day two. The plans I set in motion are still good. But if I'm doing the same math, I now have 15 years. Five years from now, if that same pattern of thinking happens, I'll have 10. (laughs) Right? That's kind of how they do that. Here's what I'm trying to say. If my life is to be gain, I have to be doing something in my mind every day for Christ, for the kingdom of God, that makes a difference for me to live that day. Whether it's to pray for someone, to bless someone with a call or a, or a, a thank you or, or whatever, something that says, this day I made a difference. I was intentional about being thankful that I gained by being alive. I gained a blessing for somebody. To live is Christ, though. And to live is gain, as they say. But Paul said dying is gain. And there's no way you can die and gain unless your death brings redemption to somebody. Like Jesus did. That life, death, was a gain for all of us. But if our life is to make a difference, and we don't want to be so inward focused with it, we want our lives to stand for something. And our death to mean something. Well, they just wanted to give up. They wanted to end it all. I've been there. It's a very empty, lonely place. It's very painful. It hurts. And you just want to go, God, why would you even put me on this earth? I agree with Job. If days are sorrow, God, why would you even create the day I was born? Wiped it off the calendar. Curse that day, God, if that's the case. But if living is Christ, even in the midst of darkness and pain and hurt and sadness, and I'm going to change that, since to live is Christ, then the darkness, pain, and sadness will eventually fade. One of my favorite chapters in the Scriptures in Revelation, it says one day, one day there would be no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, no more dying. And one day, that day is transcribed and prescribed in Revelation near the back of the book. It's like the last chapter, okay? The end of the story. God completely obliterates death, dying, and suffering. And as I was thinking about that this week, I thought, you know, that, that's going to be an awesome time. And I'm going, I, I, I won't know how to live. I'm so used to dealing with a pain here or a struggle here or a problem here. If everybody's getting along, how am I going to have a purpose? What am I going to do? Who am I going to help? And, and, if, and, and if I don't have hurts and everybody's happy, how do you live like that? So accustomed to grief and loss was I that I didn't know how to live happy without having to help somebody or to see a world that could be utopian in process. And so I came to this little conclusion that my life here on this earth is already without the pain of worrying about eternity. It's without the pain of worrying about whether or not my life can matter for Christ because He says it does. I can live without the pain of wondering if I'm loved or if I'm an orphan in this world because God says I'm loved. 
I can no longer worry or have to deal with the pain of wondering if, if I'm redeemed, if all of my failures are permanent records against me, or God will say one day they're gone and they're gone now. I can live knowing that that pain is already gone. And yet some reason or another, a lot of us walk around in shame thinking that stuff's still attached to our back and shoulder. Like it's our moniker and our mantra. I'm a failure. I don't matter. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not loved. I don't matter in this world and nobody cares. And those things are what we say when we don't realize to live as Christ. That the pain of those things can be obliterated when God works through by His Holy Spirit to wash away all the darkness and the stain that this world has told us is true. It is a lie that you are unloved. It is a lie that you are unforgiven. It is a lie that you are unworthy. It is a lie that you are not redeemed. It is a lie that Christ can't redeem you. It is a lie to say that Calvary didn't exist. It's a lie to say God doesn't exist. And all these temptations, when they drag you through your mind, make you miserable and add to depression or create it. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want you to know your freedom. He doesn't want you to know that to live is Christ. And when you have Christ in you, you can truly live and get away from all the junk in your life and start walking in authority and power of Jesus Christ. You can do that. And you can do that with confidence, knowing that God has said that this is what He's called you to. He didn't call you to darkness. He called you to His marvelous light to walk in freedom. And yet, for some reason, we walk around like we're still dragging that junk with us. It's gone. God hasn't put it on you. Nobody has it on you but you and the people who say it, but they're wrong. And so are you if you believe that. In Christ, you are brand new. You are restored. And the things inside of you that say this isn't true is trying to tell you that to live is pain. To live is Christ. To die is gain, not loss. Everything you needed to lose, you lost at the cross. <laughs> That's what you needed to lose, so leave it there. You don't need that stuff anymore. You are resurrected in Jesus Christ. Here's a good chapter if you ever wanted to memorize one. Ephesians chapter 2. It says, we are seated in Jesus Christ right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heavenly places where nothing can touch us. Nothing can get to us. But our mind and all this junk that goes through us says we're in trouble. You know, I'm not what God says. There must be something wrong with me. That's what the enemy's trying to tell you is you're the problem. You're not. The enemy's the problem. When you start thinking different and you start claiming back the freedom, you'll start taking back the holy ground that the enemy took away. The turf that he stole from you. And you'll find that to live is Christ. And when you die, you've gained because you've gained all that Christ has for you in this life and the life to come. But there's no honor in saying I'm given up before Christ does what He's going to do in me. There's no honor in that. Now, I'm not telling you that there are people who will get to the point that they're so hopeless that they can't find any hope. But I'm going to tell you this, that it has been scientifically and biologically proven that when you get to the point where the hope is all gone, there's only one thing, one thing and one thing only, that can truly keep you going at those darkest moments. And that is to believe that Jesus Christ is real, that God exists, 
and that He will bring you through this. No matter how bad it seems, that He's got a way through. Not out, through. That He will deliver through what you're going through, not out of it. And so, if we go through the storm, we'll know we're storm beaters. And those storms are painful, folks. Those of us who struggle with depression or anxiety or anything like that, any struggle or addiction can make you just want to give up. But that's the enemy saying you're defeated. (laughs) And he doesn't want you to know that he's the one defeated. Jesus beat him with an ugly stick. It's the truth. He took three nails and a hammer and beat that enemy to death. He can't touch you. He has no claim on you, no right to you, no allow to whisper in your ear, but you can sure give Him access, but don't anymore. To live is Christ. And so live your life with the glory of Christ in your mind that one day when you do go home to be with Him, you will gain, not lose something, but gain something. And that's the only way to go. That makes sense? I needed to hear that one time, and two days later after I heard that, one of the guys uh, who's a friend of mine was struggling. And he said, you know, I just want to end it all. And I went, really? How? In my mind I went, thank you Jesus, I know what to say. I know what verse, because you just brought me through this two days ago, and I said, it sounds like you're in a, in a hot spot in life, like the, the heat's turned up, and, and there's nothing but the fire and flames of destruction. He goes, yeah, how'd you know? I said, because you called me at the right time, I knew what to say. Because God brought you into my path. To, and I shared with him this verse, and what I share with you tonight. And you know what he said afterward? He said, wow, I almost let the enemy win. Almost. If I hadn't called you the enemy, might have won tonight. Not tonight, Satan. Not today. Not ever. You have no right to us. Jesus Christ owns His body. And it's not for sale. I've been bought. And I'm not for sale. And I pray that's your statement tonight as well. Would you all pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank You that in Christ Jesus we have new life. The life we live is in the flesh, but the fruit from our labor, that fruit can be eternal and great for generations beyond us because as Paul learned, even those who pronounced Christ and others who used it for gain, Jesus was still proclaimed and that fruit went forward. Heavenly Father, may our lives show forth that kind of fruit. And at the end of it, may we say, thank You for what You've done. Amen.